Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill Philip. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filipovitz. Matt, been a minute. Uh, we're we're within a hundred days from Penn State football. Uh, what's going on, Bill? I am thrilled to be here, shaking off the rust. Uh, fans are back. I'm very excited. We are now, yeah. What are we like? Ninety-five days away, something crazy like that. Something and like now that. it just yeah. feels so much more real that fans are actually going to be back. I think. Uh, the Big Ten, and now that Penn State has confirmed it themselves. Yeah, uh, for those of you, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you are aware by now, but we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, and earlier today, Penn State announced that uh, it will have full 107,000 strong in attendance for the 2021 football season. We're going to be talking a little bit about that, just how we're feeling about that, those it's going to be pretty free flowing there because like a lot has uh, going into that this after the last year uh, of Penn State football and of just things in general. And then we're going to uh, go and do a little hundred or so days out temperature check of all the positions uh, on Penn State's roster before getting into some mailbag questions that we got sent in from Twitter. But I want to start with uh, Penn State announcing that uh, – Beaver Stadium will return to full capacity this fall, uh, as uh, Matt so eloquently put it in the post that he wrote on the site, uh, opening riff. For those of you who don't get what that is, you should listen to a little bit more than Lizzie. But uh, Penn State put out the news today uh, that for, as of now, I mean, I think it's really important uh, to state that nothing is uh, nothing is guaranteed. Uh, you know, we get two months from now, and God knows what the situation is. But as of now, when Penn State hosts Ball State on uh, September 11th at 3:30 p.m., it will be a full house. Matt, what's just your general reaction to the announcement? I'm excited. I, I think we were heading towards this, no matter what. Uh, I'm very happy they did it before the coaches' caravan kicks off tonight. Um, cause the last thing I would want is after the year, uh, James Franklin just had to have to sit there and, uh, answer a bunch of questions about things he cannot control. I, I think this will just be, this will be very nice for him as he eases back into, uh, to fun selling the program, program, Jimmy. Um, but I'm just excited for the town. I'm excited to hopefully get back there for, for a game or two this fall. It's just, you know, college football did feel the same and and a big part of the college football viewing experience is is looking out and seeing really fun and unique atmospheres across the country and uh, you know i'm biased but there's no atmosphere better than penn state in college football so i'm happy we, we actually get that back and really looking forward to what should be a, a much more fun college football season than one the one we had last year well, there, there, there are a few ways in which we hope it'll be more fun, uh, namely the fact that Penn State will be better. But yeah, uh, just to read uh, the statement put out today by Sandy Barber, we are excited to welcome our 107K strong back in Beaver Stadium in full capacity at our other athletics venues this fall. With the adjustments in university, local, state, and CDC guidance, our fans are a true home field advantage for all of our teams on the and the 2020-21 season was not the same without them in venues. We are so appreciative of the tremendous support of our donors and fans, especially during these challenging times, to allow us to continue to provide our more than 800 student-athletes with the conditions they need for success. And Matt, that's that last part is really interesting uh, to me because I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence. 
Yes, a lot went into last Penn State football season and why the team struggled and where those struggles came from. Uh, You know, the year started out in just about the worst possible way uh, that you could imagine with uh, the loss to Indiana. And then they get to that part game against Ohio State. They just didn't have the juice. And that seemed to be a pretty recurring thing particularly in home games throughout the season. You look at the Nittany Lions schedule. They lost that game to Ohio State where it just looked like they were stuck in first gear. They lost that game to Maryland, looked like they were stuck in first gear. Lost that game to Iowa, looked like they were stuck in first gear. And then, you know, they run into the one Big Ten team that was in a worse spot than they were with in all those regards in Michigan. And then they play Rutgers end the year on a high note at home with those games against Michigan State and Illinois. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Sandy Barber said in this statement that the season wasn't the same without fans, and that's a condition that Penn State student-athletes need for success because it feels like Penn State without fans, like that is legitimately one of the advantages that applies to Penn State more than basically any other school in the Big Ten, after last year, I don't think it's a coincidence that Sandy Barber is talking up how important it is that Penn State football has people in the stadium. Uh, real quick, in that statement, uh, it sounds like the BJC can be packed uh, this upcoming fall. So uh, a very happy uh, click, click, boom to those two celebrate. Um, Micah Shrewsbury, no, I, I hope, my man, you are ready for 1,400 screaming townies to watch a game against Dartmouth. It's going to be great. And there's going to play click, 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 boom. will never not make me laugh. Um, but I think Sandy's right. I mean, if we're being honest, 2020 needs an excuse. Like, there has to be an excuse for why the team was so bad. Because it, it frankly wasn't the talent. Like, it, I, I still stand by 2019 was the best season under James Franklin. And a lot of those guys came back. Like, and if you need an excuse, you know, the pandemic said we couldn't have fans. The pandemic said we couldn't practice right. Like, it's the ultimate excuse. Like, you hate to make that, and I get every other team had to deal with it, but an empty Beaver Stadium in an already very empty part of Pennsylvania on non-game days is just a very sleepy environment. And I think you're right. Penn State just couldn't get out of first gear, and I don't know how you juice up a team of 18 to 22-year-olds when it's just like their families in the stadium. Like that, That's got to be impossibly difficult. So I think Sandy made a, a really good point there, and and I think it's a very, very good excuse. Um, but it, this can't happen again. Like what happened in 2020 pandemic wise also, but that's not something we can control, um, but on the field product wise as well. Yeah. And there are very obvious like issues that existed with the football team. I mean, we're not going to sit here and relitigate the entire 2020 season. Nobody needs that, but they didn't have, they had uh, the new offensive coordinator in there and he installed an entire new offense. It was kind of antithetical to how James Franklin wants his team to play uh, via zoom. They lost their best running back just before the season. And then the first game of the season, their second best running back gets hurt. The guy on defense who cleans up Every single mess that pops up, every single mess that popped up on that defense, more or less, I think Micah Parsons would have done a good job impacting, uh, you know, maybe not against Ohio State, but against Maryland, maybe against Nebraska, those sorts of things. Like, there are all these things 
built on top of one another. But I ultimately think that one of the biggest things and the thing that could be correct, that has been corrected uh, above everything else is that there are just going to be people there. There's going to be that little bit of extra bit of life so that uh, when you start a game, you know, I don't think Penn State was beating Ohio State regardless of that season, but when you start a game against Ohio State and the first play of the game is Garrett Wilson going for 63 yards and then, Ohio State scores, and then their second I about that. Yeah, second drive. Ohio State goes that right off. Right, Ohio State goes on the field, scores again. Uh, drive after that, Ohio State goes on the field, marches down, misses a field goal. Like, I don't think that. Like, I still think Ohio State wins that game, but I don't think Penn State looks as hapless as it did uh, by having just that little bit of extra lift, that little bit of an extra boost. You know, I don't know if the Maryland game or the Iowa game are as pathetic if there are people in the stands. So you, it's just such a big thing. And it's going like, let's just face it, Matt, at the end of the day, the best thing about this is that we've been by and large, and it started to change a lot over the last uh, couple of months uh, since I got vaccinated. I know you got vaccinated. I, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, please do that. Uh, Just being able to do things again and experience like, the communal aspect of sports that we all love. Like we joke uh, about it, about how much we love drinking bad beers in a parking lot, but like, that's the best thing on earth. There is nothing more fun than me cracking open a beer and standing next to me uh, is someone who listens to this podcast or read this, reads the site or follows all of us on Twitter. And we just get to talk about Penn state football with them and Penn state athletics with them and share stories about uh, the time we went to the first and this one particular thing that stuck with us happened when we were undergrads. Like that was taken away from us last year. And that thing is now going to be back. And looking at this schedule, Matt, you know, we're not going to go game by game, but I don't know if I'm going to be what games I'm going to be there for. But from the first game that I go to, I it's just going to be this big release of joy and happiness and relief after everything that has happened this last year. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I'm I'm counting down the days. I think Illinois is the one I will be attending um, because that is my my adopted home state now. Uh, so it's just not, it's also homecoming. So I, I'm very much so looking forward to, to getting back and, and homecoming is one of my favorite games. Cause I like just like all the, the cheesy festivities they do. So I, I'm very excited to get to experience granted. Illinois will probably will not be the whiteout sadly, which is uh, which is a sham, but I, I am thrilled regardless <laughs> to get back for any game I can get back for. Yeah. Same here. And like, if you are, uh, if you run into any of us at games, just like come say hi, like we'll, we'll we're by and large, going to be wanting to uh, hang out with anyone. So please, uh, by all means, come and do that. At the very least, it'll keep us from having to talk to Matt. Uh, not this Matt, other Matt. Uh, I like. I really just, I don't think there's anything else we can really add here, Matt. Like, is there any anything you want to say before we start getting into talking about this team? Bo Nix is going to throw four picks Oof. in the whiteout, assuming that game's the whiteout, and I will laugh uncontrollably. <laughs> it's going to be great. I cannot wait for that. Yeah. Uh, are you, are you of the belief that Auburn should be the whiteout? Yes. For okay. a couple of reasons. I agree. One, one that's kind of funny is that I think it makes Michigan feel less important, which is objectively hilarious and it doesn't matter, but giving a Southern audience or I can 
interested reason to watch the wideout is just fun. That's just that's just fun. Like give fans in Alabama, in you know Georgia, in Florida, all those Auburn alums across the South, like a reason to watch. Because I feel like like football in the North compared to down there is like looked down upon. So I feel like giving a not really blue, but a high caliber SEC program all they can handle um, on the road in a northern environment would just uh, maybe knock the SEC down a peg or two, which was always fun. <laughs> and I, th- I, I wonder if a lot of, you know, a lot of football fan, you know, maybe the obsessives that try to watch every single thing uh, know this, but I wonder if there are some people who uh, watched Penn State against Alabama and were like, oh, the, the environment's not, it's not that great. Like, when Alabama came a decade ago, that you know, that just kind of belief lingered in them. But I think that, uh, sorry, I have some dogs going crazy next to me. Uh, but I absolutely think that we put on a show for Auburn that some they're, they're going to have a good time, and when we head down there, they're going to reciprocate that. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's have some fun going to games this season, and a good way to have fun going to games this season, uh, is to have a really fun team to root for. And what I think, Matt, we're going to do is we're going to do a temperature check on all every level of Penn State football, starting with the quarterback position. Uh, Will Levis is out. Uh, Michael Johnson Jr. also out. Uh, barring a grad transfer coming in, it looks like they're going to roll with Sean Clifford, Daquan Roberson, and Christian Veyu. Just taking the temperature of that position, what do you think about Penn State's quarterback room? I'll kind of break, throughout all these, I'll kind of go like, Hot, medium, mild, ice cold. I would probably put the quarterback room as mild. It, it's nerve-wracking when you only have three scholarship quarterbacks. It's more nerve-wracking when one of them uh, couldn't hang on to the starting job for an entire year, and when another one of them is Canadian and hasn't played organized football um, and what would probably be like two years or a year and a half by the time the season rolls around. Um, so it, it's it's kind of nerve-wracking. This is the most important position in football. Like, there, there's no way around it. I like what Mike Yersich has done in the past with quarterbacks. I think Sean Clifford was good in 2019. Not great, but good. And if you're good as a redshirt sophomore, I think you can be equally as good or better as a redshirt senior with a coach who has had success with players of your skill set in the past. So there's a, definitely a lot of things I'm concerned about. Um, Taquan Roberson not really throwing at all in 2020 um, kind of blows my mind. Uh, the staff had to have known that Levis was probably going to look at a transfer if he didn't get the starting job. I think that was just kind of just bad coaching on their part. Uh, but, you know, o- overall can see this position room being a strength, but everything has to go right for that to happen. My my biggest concern is more because I think Sean Clifford is a fine football player. Like I you know, we do the thing where we agonize over the good to great to elite blah blah blah. Well, I don't think he's a quarterback or I have questions about whether or not he could be a quarterback who gets you to that elite level. Uh, but what I do think is that he could be a guy who wins you football games who, uh, you know, he does enough good stuff that I don't think he's hapless, which sounds a lot worse, uh, than I, like, I mean it to be, um, there are two big things that I'm worried about with him. One is that this is going to be his third quarter, 
third offensive coordinator in three years coaching, uh, not coaching, playing college football, which, listen, that's a big ask on anyone, especially someone like Clifford, who, good player, but not like a supernaturally talented uh, dude. Like, that, that has to be concerned. And then two, you kind of mentioned it there with behind him, like, Two years in a row, Sean Clifford has lost the starting job for one reason or another. One year was because of injuries. One year was because of play. And I just don't love the fact that they don't seem to have... I mean, unless Taquan Roberson is really impressing them uh, with what he's doing in workouts, and they don't feel like they need to go out and just get an insurance policy in case there's an injury, in case there's, uh, you, you know, in case just something happens with him. That worries me a bit, but I do think this offense, one, the fact that there's going to be like hands-on instruction to get him to learn it as opposed to, you know, talking to Kirk Shiraka over Zoom, uh, I think that's going to help him. And I, two, I think that Sean Clifford is really good when you have him throwing rhythm throws and when you have him throwing those intermediate routes where... You know, he could just kind of get into a rhythm and go boom, 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 just metronome those throws, uh, you know, 10, 15-ish yards down the field. And I think Mike Yurcich is going to have him do those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll, what, what did you say your uh, heat scale was for this? I think it said hot, medium, mild. All right, so... Hot, medium, and mild. All right, we'll we'll we'll, we'll chicken wing this. Uh, I I will put quarterbacks generally as a mild, um, but I think they are. But I think Clifford is. I think Clifford will be fine. Whether or not fine is good enough to get them to, uh, you know, double digit wins is a completely separate issue. But I say probably around there. There is one thing though that helps in that. Um, it is that Penn State's running back room, even if it did not add John Lovett, uh, grad transfer from Baylor, was going to be very good. Uh, but they did. They're going to be awesome. Yeah, regardless of whatever happens with Lovett or what you can get out of him, like this is a crazy talented room as it is. Like everybody, everybody's back from last year, um, which is just a, a phenomenal place to start. Uh, I'll put this one as as hot because I think they have a great mix. I, I think Kayvon Lee's the best running back in this room. And, and that's no disrespect to John Lovett. I, granted, I haven't watched a ton of John Lovett. I didn't watch a ton of Baylor the years. Uh, and John Lovett could easily be the guy who gets the most carries. But I think we haven't seen Noah Kane in going on two years. And I don't think I don't want to hold that against him. But, you know, that's football. Guys get hurt and, and their spots get taken by guys who outplay them. Um, but even if you can get, you know, six carries a game out of Noah Kane, I, I think that's his floor. I don't think that's what we're going to see. I think that's worst case scenario. But overall, this room is just stacked. Like not even to mention guys like Devin Ford, who really needs a breakout year at some point. It's probably going to have to be this year if it's going to happen at Penn State. Uh, you know, Keziah Holmes is a guy who, you know, he basically redshirted last year. So whatever you got out, out of him is gravy at this point. But this is a room that's really loaded with talent and all four, or I guess five now with Lovett backs do different things. Well, which is just a great situation for anybody to have, especially with a guy like Mike Yersich, who's 
offense can run out of so many different kinds of sets. I think we're going to see a good amount of two back sets this year. Um, and, and whatever that looks like, whatever combo that is, you can run, you know, any combination of probably, you know, 25 different kinds of play types out of that one package, which is just super intriguing as a concept as a whole. Yeah, we'll uh, dog ear our discussion on Penn State's running backs, uh, just because there's a listener question that I think is uh, pretty interesting, but I, I agree, hot, uh, they're going to be real good. Uh, it, this is, the, the thing that makes me so optimistic is that if it takes a couple of weeks, you know, uh, I, I don't want to overlook the very beginning of the schedule, but if it takes a little bit of time for Clifford to get into the kind of rhythm that he needs to get into, they can rely on a very stout running game for that first three game. Uh, you know, their first hell Penn state's first uh, six games are really difficult and they can really ride the running game uh, as Clifford kind of gets to a position where he's able to, uh, where he's able to really make his imprint felt on games in a positive way. So dog ear this conversation, we're going to move on to wide receivers right now. Uh, to me, Matt, it's a question of how much do you trust the two got the guys beyond the two guys? I think I'm at a medium because the two guys are quite good, but I also think it's going to be uh, a pretty major question as to whether or not they are going to be able to get production from that next group of players uh, on the wide receiver depth chart. Yeah, this one has to be a medium. I think this really splits the difference. I mean, John Dotson is phenomenal and uh, one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Uh, Parker Washington, I think, was the maybe has a case for one of the, if not the best freshman pass catchers in the Big Ten. He was absolutely ridiculous. And to think about that, he had to go into his first college season over Zoom, basically, and he did as well as he did it is just phenomenal. But until they get that third guy, it's hard to put this any higher. And, and they have a lot of talented dudes to do it. I know Cam Sullivan Brown's a guy who's been around forever and is getting a lot of really good talking points. People are saying good things about him from what he did this spring into the summer. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith is, is probably the most likely choice to take over as that third spot. Um, but this is kind of an interesting position as a whole because you don't really need the third guy because your running backs are so good, because your tight ends are so good, you can probably get by on a more focused offense to the point where you don't need you know, that third receiver to come in and catch 30 balls. That's probably not going to happen. If you get it, great. But it's hard to see who that person would be just based upon what we've seen from what's below Dotson and Parker on the depth chart at this point. Uh, Jahan Dotson last year, 52 receptions, 884 yards, eight touchdowns. Parker Washington, 36, 489, and six. Uh, yeah, to me, it's like... I'm glad you mentioned Cam Sullivan Brown because he's a guy who I think Penn State talks about, or Penn State's coaching staff talks about uh, with some frequency uh, whether or not he uh, turns that into the ability to stay on the field so we can see that talent. Like, it, at, at this point, it's a show me, don't tell me thing with him, which is really unfortunate because, again, by all accounts, he's a really talented football player, but. Again, show me, don't tell me. And it's, you know, he has to stay healthy and be able to do that. Like, 
Keandre Lambert-Smith, again, talented kid, 15, 138, and no touchdowns in last year's weird season. That's a good base, and now he has to build on that. Then you go to the other players uh, that they have on the wide receiver roster and go, all right, well, what are you going to be able to get by, get out of, uh, you know, throw a, throw the name against the wall here? Can Malik Mega or Jaden Dotton uh, be contributors at this point in uh, their Penn State careers? Can a guy uh, like Daniel George put it together? Can uh, Norval Black, uh, you know, he came in as a Juco guy. Can he go from a Juco guy to someone who actually contributes? Uh, I believe there have been uh, rumblings about Marquise Wilson playing wide receiver uh to some capacity if he uh in some capacity i think it's fair to say he's gonna make he's gonna make the switch he's gonna be listed as an athlete instead of a cornerback yeah. on the roster so, so i i think it's fair to say he's gonna make that formal switch pretty soon right so can they get a little something out of him uh as a receiver so like at the very top, it's good. There's talent below them. It's just how they put it together. And ironically enough, I think that also applies uh, to the guys that Penn State has at tight end. Uh, Penn State's tight end uh, room has, you know, the kind of four-star. T- it, it has that mix of, like, guys who are four-star talent or guys who are really interesting projects. Uh, at tight end, uh, they brought in Khalil Dinkins in their recruiting class. Uh, I think this is a medium, Matt, but knowing you as well as I do, I wouldn't be surprised if you're really, really high on them. Yeah, I'm, I'm crazy high on this group as a whole, mainly because I think Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson are so entertaining. Like, for years it's been, you know, Penn State has one guy. You probably have to go back to probably, like, 2012 when you had Jesse James, Kyle Carter, Matt Lehman, like, all those dudes where it was, like, tight end by committee. You know, since then we've gone on to have Gesicki, Fryerman with all that fun stuff. But I think Strange and Johnson are going to be huge parts of the offense because I think they're more known commodities than whoever the third receiver can be strange played really well strange you know Fryermuth won big 10 tight end of the year somehow last year great for him didn't play enough i think to win that award and brenton strange was really the starter for penn state in my opinion last year so i think he's a guy who can really benefit from a full year getting starter reps week in and week out practicing with the ones every day i think that's going to be huge for him and theo johnson i think is basically one b He's a guy who's never going to be a blocking tight end. He's not going to be that Nick Bauer second tight end type, but he's a dude who can go out there and catch, you know, three balls a game, four balls a game, and and he can make dudes miss in space. Like he's not just going to be a guy you feed in the red zone. He's a guy who can have an impact no matter where you are in the field. And then anything you get from Tyler Warren or Carlo Dinkins is just gravy at that point. So I'm very high on this group. I'm I'd feel a lot better if, if Tebow was still here, you know, not not Tim Tebow, who's also with the Jaguars, but Tyler Bowen. Uh, if Bowen was there, that would be ideal. But I, I'm excited to see what Ty Howell can do as that position coach. I think they're going to, especially Strange is going to block really well. I think a lot's going to be asked of him in that regard, just because of how relying on the run game I think Penn State's going to be. But I think this could easily be the best tight end room in the Big Ten, just because of how 
different and how deep to have two tight ends with different skill sets is huge. And to have two of them both still so young and both are going to get so much better. I I think just bodes well for Penn state in the future. Yeah. And just like as a total aside, something I found really interesting was uh, when Penn state had um, Penn state had a press conference uh, with uh, governor Tom Wolf to urge fans uh, to go out and get the COVID-19 vaccine. The player who was next to Franklin was Theo Johnson. Uh, it was Franklin, Theo Johnson, and Governor Wolf, which I, I, I found that interesting. I don't know if there's uh, a lot that we can read into that, but it's certainly something that uh, I feel like they wouldn't put that oh, on Canada. the guy. Yeah, our, our home and native land. True patriot love, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I don't know if they would ask that of a guy unless they thought it was really important. He was one of the more authoritative voices on the team. But, you know, that's total total speculation. Uh, let's move on to Penn State's offensive line. Uh, if we had to guess, something like Rashid Walker, uh, Eric Wilson, uh, the grad transfer from uh, Harvard, Mike Miranda, Juice Scruggs, and Caden Wallace across the line. It's a talented group. It's a deep group. It has a really good coach, Matt. I'm going to go and say hot. Your dogs are excited about it too, which is always <laughs> good. Um, I think I think Phil Troutwine's ready to go. I think Phil Troutwine is such a good coach. Like this dude was putting out first round picks at Boston College. Like he he should be churning that out, you know, at twice the rate here at Penn State. I think I'm going hot on this one as well. Rashid Walker is already projected as a first round pick, and I think he's only gotten better in every game that he's played. And, and it's pretty insane to think about. You know, where Penn State was just a few years ago, you know, we're in May of, of the year before the next draft, and we already have a guy with first-round speculation. So I think Walker is going to be a phenomenal player. Uh, opposite of him, obviously, will be Caden Wallace, who I thought played really well. He's big, and you want your right tackle to be big. And I thought he played pretty well as a redshirt freshman. Uh, another year on campus, just getting bigger and stronger. Uh, Eric Wilson's a guy who just got to campus a couple weeks ago, but he's a hard grad. I don't think he's going to have any problem picking up the playbook. Uh, and he, he played pretty well in the, in the Ivy League. And, you know, say what you will about that level of football, but that, that's still high, high caliber talent to, to get that guy in. Um, Mike Miranda is a guy who's been around forever, played a ton of football. And, and I like the idea that your most experienced offensive lineman is your center, you know, kind of your anchor of that entire unit. Uh, I think that's really important. And Juice Scruggs, man. Shout out to him for finding a way to get mm-hmm. healthy after what sounded like a, a pretty rough car crash all those years ago at this point. Uh, so I, I thought that he played pretty well. I, I think he's pretty versatile. I think he could back up a tackle a good bit. I think Des Holmes is going to factor in here too a good bit. But I think that starting five and then probably Holmes is like the pseudo six starter is going to give Penn State a really, really good offensive line. And I'm excited to have Phil Troutwine you know, fully unleashed. His first year was probably coaching mostly via Zoom for a large portion of it. So now to have him out there and and really teach guys, you know, he's the guy who's been to the NFL as an offensive lineman to teach guys what it takes to get there, I think is going to be so important for Penn State to be successful. And, and I'm thrilled to watch this unit. I say it every year, but I think this is actually a year where this becomes one of the top three units in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, the talent's there, the coaching's there, just about everything's there that you can want along uh, the offensive line. Even if last year's might have uh, had more hype and excitement, very deservedly so around it, I think this has the potential to be a really, really solid group, uh, one that keeps Sean Clifford upright and gives those offensive line, uh, those running backs uh, a lot of room to run through. Uh, moving to the other side of the football, defensive line, Matt, 
it has so this is weird because it has two guys who I think we as Penn State fans definitely trust. PJ Mustafer, Adisa Isaac. Two good football players. I don't think we're going to be concerned about them. It brings in a pair of grad transfers who are really nice football players. Uh, Arnold Ebiketti from Temple, Derek Tangelo from Duke. The concern to me is just they're getting used to new digs, but they're certainly talented. They certainly have a bit of a track record. And then it's a lot of younger dudes, the Hakeem Beemans, Smith Vilbert. Uh, you know, Fred Hansard's been around forever, played a ton of football, hasn't really broken through. Nick Tarburton, been around forever, not played a ton of football, never really broken through. I'm going to go medium on this because I think there are a lot of interesting pieces in this room, but I don't think I would be stunned if this unit it just ends up being merely fine just because there are a bunch of questions about getting new guys, getting young guys developed, that sort of thing, uh, heading into this season. I'll break this up, and I'll put defensive tackle as as hot. I think this group is okay. crazy deep and crazy talented. Uh, PJ Mustafer is awesome. Um, anything you get at a Tangelo, I think is just gravy. I, I honestly don't think you needed to get a grad transfer at that position. Um, but you got a guy who's pretty good, which is great. I thought Hakeem Beeman was the best freshman on the field that season for Penn State. Like, true or Hakeem was phenomenal last season. I, I am absurdly high on him. Fred Hansard is just going to eat space. He's done that, you know, for a long time. Something else you can gain out of whoever else you have in there, whether that be, you know, an Aeneas Hawkins or whoever else you can find. But you really only need four, and they have four. And all four, I think, are starting caliber, which is which is something we really haven't been able to see that Penn State interior defensive line for a long time. On the end, I'm nervous. Adisa Isaac could be on that Etor Gross Matos like trajectory towards superstardom really quickly, which is insane. Time has time has really flown it for him. But Epiketti came out of nowhere last season in a lower level of football. It's different than Wilson on the offensive line because Wilson did it for multiple years. If you look at that's he really only made a major impact in 2020. Like that was his one season. So in a vacuum against talent in a week it's hard for me to say he's going to match what he did at temple here at penn because then but you really don't have anybody proven smith milbert's a guy who's always going to be a long-term project nick tarber very healthy i know you move as a riot i think that's smart i i think they should have done it right away really help him develop a little bit clean up there but I don't know exactly what that would look like. So I, I'm really concerned about defensive end as a whole, which is a major rarity, um, just considering how well they need to find a guy to pair with Isaac to just be good and deliver on what we think is going to be. And that's great. And that's a lot to ask uh, of John Scott Jr. in his second year with the program as that position coach. So I think Brandon Smith and the linebackers are going to be huge trying to trying to get creative with blitzes to get some pressure. But I, I'm I'm very concerned. We no concern at all with defensive tackle. Moving to linebackers. Um, God, 
I don't know. Like, can I just put a question mark for this one? Because you're the linebackers have so much talent, so much talent, and it's banking on how they how they progress, how they uh, step forward, how the whether or not. Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs can put it together really is for me the big question on this defense, because if those guys can turn into mistake erasers, this Penn State defense is going to be really good. If not, it's going to be, I think, pretty soft in the middle of the field. Um, I'm going to go mild to medium, like just right in that nice little, nice little sweet spot. Um, But man, the ceiling for this group is just so dang high that I can see such an a range of outcomes happening with it. I think I'm in the same range, the, the mild to medium range, just because I don't think Penn State learned any lessons throughout the course of 2020 with what they did at linebacker. Um, and I hope now that they were able to take a step back, I hope uh, Anthony Poindexter stepping in here is able to say, hey, uh, let, let's try something a little bit different. Let's try guys in different spots. And, and if they get it right, I, I think this is firmly in the medium category. Um, Curtis Jacobs played ridiculous. Like it, it's hard to compare a freshman linebacker because you're always going to compare them to Micah Parsons, which is totally unfair to anybody, but I thought he played really well. Brandon, it was on late last year. He was playing phenomenal football on, on that winning streak and phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal stretch for him. And then I think Ellis Brooks can hold things down in the, Somebody at Sports Illustrated has hit, had him as a first-round pick in a mock draft, which I'm sure was a mistake, and they meant to put Brandon Smith, but that made me laugh. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ellis Brooks, I hope you go in the first round. I will put it that way. Um, finally, uh, well, not finally, because we're going to do – well, we'll do specialists really quickly. I feel great about them. Do you disagree? Jordan Stout um, kicked the ball – Yeah, like, I, I, I don't see much else we need to say about that. Uh, and then Penn State's secondary. Uh, really interesting unit. Uh, ta- again, another one of those units that has talent. It's just a matter of how the talent coalesces. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro-Fields, uh, incoming transfer Johnny Dixon. A really nice trio of cornerbacks. Kalen King's a guy that they're pretty high on. Uh, and then at, at safety... Uh, PFF Darling, Jaquan Brisker, uh, Jonathan Sutherland, Keaton Ellis has moved there, Jair Brown uh, played a little bit last year. I'm going to go medium here, but trending towards hot because, Matt, I think Penn State's secondary has the potential to be quite good. Yeah, I'll go I'll go hot on the corners, but then mild to medium on the safeties. Like, this, this is a ridiculous cornerback room. TCF coming back is great. JP... Uh, Kalen King has gotten all of, like maybe more praise than any other early enrollee I've seen at, at Penn State. Like everybody seems to think he's right needed anybody, but that's just that's just gravy. Uh, so that room's going to be ridiculous and crazy competitive. And then safeties, PFF Darlene uh, for sure. Um, he he's got to step up. But yeah, uh, you know whoever gets that last job, whether it's Jair Brown, Sutherland, Keaton Ellis have seen the field and that's kind of been Penn State's MO at, at one of those safety spots over the past, you know, half decade is just just find somebody who can be serviceable and and hope to get good production out of that. So 
It is time for us uh, to move on to our mailbag questions. First mailbag question from Vincent. Who's winning the Euros blog? Matt, do you have a take on this? No, I have no idea what this means. Uh, Euros are uh, an international uh, soccer tournament involving uh, European countries. Is Croatia involved? Croatia is involved. They're in a group with England, Scotland, and the Czech Republic. Oh, my God. Oh, I speak some Slavic, so I don't think I can go against the Czech Republic. Um, you, wait, whoa, 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 Croatia. whoa, whoa, whoa. You speak some Slavic? When were you going to tell me this? I, I speak like three things because oh, I, I know how to say the water goes up instead of down, which is holy wood, the dola dish. Um, I know cabbage is kapusta, and I know head is halava, um, and that's all I got. Well, I just had a whole lot of a good time hearing you talk about that. Uh, I'm going to go. Wow. Uh, <laughs> You're a pro. I, 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 I do this for a living. Uh, I'm going to go with France. Uh, they have a very tough group. Portugal and Germany uh, are also in their group with them. The country that doesn't come out of it of that trio is going to be in a, in a very, very difficult place. But I think that, uh, I, I think that it will be one of... Uh, I, I think it'll be France. So moving on to our next question from Penfal25. How much of an impact will Kayvon Lee have on the running back room this season? Matt, I said it was going to dog year um, my take on the running backs at this point. What I would basically say is that I think Penn State's going to play the hot hand. Uh, there are so many bodies in that backfield that Penn State doesn't have to say, all right, hard and fast. Uh, we're going to carry the ball 40 times a game. Lovett's getting 15 uh, Kane is getting 10, Lee is getting 10, uh, and the remainder are going to be going to go to Ford or Holmes in whatever, uh, however those final five are going to be allocated. They can use the first couple of drives in the game to see, okay, it looks like uh, Wisconsin's defense is having some trouble with Devin and Koziah's agility. Let's ride them a little bit more than we uh, normally would. Okay, uh, Illinois is having some trouble with how physical Noah and Kayvon are, and John's all-around game is adding a really nice touch to it. Let's mix and match based on what the game uh, tells us. We don't have to worry too much about hard and fast, okay, here's how we are going to play running back every single game. I didn't really thought about that, like mixing and matching based upon who does well against what. Uh, I kind of just assumed it would be Kayvon Lee, because I think it should be Kayvon Lee, because I think he is very good. Um, and he will only get better as he gets bigger and stronger. Uh, so I could see a good combination of both. I think they're going to ride the hot hand, but I do think more often than not, that hot hand is going to be Kayvon Lee. Uh, from Ankit, he wants to know, how many are we ripping before the Ball State game? And he posted a flabongo. Um, if I am in Happy Valley for that, as many as you want, buddy. I am very close to, I think, where Ball State is located, because I know it's in Indiana, and I'm assuming it's close to Chicago. So I will, I will go to Ball State's campus, and I will, I will gladly rip a flabongo. Give me one second. Let me look at where in Indiana. Um, oh, it looks like it's a it, it's a little bit northeast of Indianapolis. So it's in between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. So it's not not that close to you, but it's close cl close enough. Um, question from Fritz: How many wide receivers will have more than thirty catches, and why will it be all of them? Uh, if we're saying just wide receivers, I will put it at two. Um, I think Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington are going to do. They're going to do more than enough uh, catching of the football between the two of them. Um, 
you know, I, I think the year that we want that we hopefully compare the offense to is going to be the 2017 season. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton, 53, Jawan Johnson, 54. The next wide receiver was uh, DeAndre Tompkins uh, with 28. Of course, there was Mike Gesicki in there. There was Saquon Barkley in there. So it's That's a little current bit Green Bay Packer, DeAndre Tompkins. That's correct. Current Green Bay Packer. Year before, Chris Godwin, 59, De- Deshaun Hamilton, 34, uh, DeAndre Tompkins uh, of the Green Bay Packers, 27. So... To me, it's basically just a matter of how do you want to allocate those. Uh, it's really hard to get that third guy um, up to just that many receptions. I think that it's also a matter of, again, why would you force the football to someone when you have a guy like uh, uh Jahan Dotson, a guy like Parker Washington, you don't have to really worry too terribly much uh, about where those extra receptions are going to come from. So I think it's just a matter of Penn State's wide receiver room has two, has an alpha dog at the top and a guy who was really, really good below him. And then there's talent at running back, there's talent at tight end, so you're just not going to be, uh, it, it's not going to be too uh, egalitarian of a passing offense. Yeah, give me uh, give me two receivers to hit this, um, but five offensive players total. Whether that be two tight ends and a running back, or two backs and a tight end. I dig it. Uh, moving on, maybe my favorite question so far from Nathan: What unrealistic feature would you like to see added to be the Beaver Stadium renovation uh, beer garden? Put in a beer garden. No. I want the uh, don't change it at all. Just give us the old Marlins home run sculpture. Just put it out there. <laughs> don't explain why. Or laser tag. Laser tag. Let's get laser tag. That would be cool. (laughs) But but with the Land Grant Trophy lasers. Yeah, man. Let's do it. Or even just like a photo booth where you can get a picture with that exact picture of the Land Grant Trophy. Like it's a white background and then like just in the corner, it's that. That would be fun. That would be like nine people and nobody else would understand. Yeah. But the people who understand it would really like it. So it would be worth the six figures it would cost to put it in Sandy. Uh, Moving on to a question that I'm actually, uh, I think it's pretty cut and dry uh, from Cody. Are we going to see a fullback this year? No, but we will see a lot of under center. Um, And by a lot, maybe like 20% of plays under center. Yeah, for me, it's just a question of, like, who is the fullback if you are going to play fullback? Like, you look at Penn State's running back room, you're not putting Noah Kane there, you're not putting John Lovett, Kayvon Lee, Kazai Holmes, Devin Ford there. Tank Smith is a big physical dude. Um, maybe you put him at fullback and tell him, uh, you know, to use that 231-pound frame of his to push some dudes around, but I... I just don't think they, because it goes back to the question we've always had with fullbacks. Who are you taking off the field to put on a fullback? Uh, maybe Tyler Warren can play a little fullback, but at 6'3", six, 6'6". Six, That's what I was about to say, actually. I don't know if it's 6'6", six, six, it's the best use of his talents, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those things where we either don't see it or we see a very patchwork version of it, and then as the years go on, we see uh, an actual... Um, established fullback. Is it, are, are you kind of on the same wavelength? Yeah, if it's going to be anybody, I, I'd bet a lot of money on Warren just because he's been described as not really a tight end, um, but more of a football player as a whole. Uh, so I could see I could see him having a, a fun little role there occasionally. 
And then our final two questions. I put these two last. Uh, they're from Sylvester. Uh, I think they're both really good questions, and I want us to be able to have a little bit of time to kind of dive into them. So I'm putting them at the end, uh, you know, just so we could dedicate the last little bit of the show to this. Uh, the first question, if Mike Yurcich has the kind of season we hope, how long can we realistically hope to have him around? It's two years the max. And I'll, I'll let you start on this one, because I think it's... Um, I, I think this is a very interesting question based off of everything that we know about the dude. Uh, and there's, I, I think there's just this belief that when you do good as an offensive coordinator, you eventually have that step to being a head coach. What do you think? So I think, I think two years is the floor. I think we're at least going to have him in happy Valley for two years. Outside of that, it's hard to tell. He seems like a dude who just, like generally wants to call plays and granted a head coach can do that, but there's so much more to your play when you become a head coach. And I think he's been enough places and around enough head coaches to where he fully understands what that would look like. So I, I, I sticking around for a good, a good bit. He, he's from this general area, you know, the Eastern Ohio, Western Pennsylvania played his college ball in PA. Like he, he, He's in a place where he feels comfortable, I would imagine. But it's hard to project a guy that talented to stay in one place because he's eventually going to have calls from bigger programs. And granted, there aren't many, but, you know, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, they exist. Um, but I could easily see him sticking around for as long as five. I think anything longer than that is just wishful, wishful thinking. But realistically, I yeah, probably about a two to five year marriage. Yeah, I mean, it's a, here's an interesting thing about Mike Yersich. His playing career ended in 1998 uh, when his time at the California uh, California University of Pennsylvania came to the end. His first coaching job was in 1999. He's never been a head coach at any level of football, and the reason that I find that interesting is because unless you were a guy, you know, like Ricky Ronnie. Yeah, I think Ricky Ronnie is a good kind of guidepost here. He built up to being an offensive coordinator. He went from, you know, you know, I have Ronnie up here and just his coaching path, you know, a few position coaching things. Uh, then quarterbacks coach at Vandy, quarterbacks coach at Penn State, tight end coach at Penn State for a spell, then offensive coordinator, quarterback coach at Penn State before becoming a head coach. He went on something of a linear path. And it's a linear path that a lot of coaches go on with an eye on being a head coach. Mike Yurcich got his first offensive coordinator job in 2006. From that, he got another offensive coordinator job. From that, he got another offensive coordinator job. From that, he got a passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach job. Uh, and then he got another offensive coordinator job before this offensive coordinator job. I'm sure he's had phone calls over the years to go be a head coach somewhere. And I just have to imagine he's turned them down. I think this is a guy who wants to be an offensive coordinator. So unless, like you said, Matt, one of two things happens. He gets a call from an Alabama, Georgia, that level of program. Uh, you know, the ones that Penn State are just not able to get to that level because Penn State doesn't have head coach money to pay to coordinators. Or, you know, the marriage just doesn't work between him and James Franklin, which I think it will because I think last I think the last couple of years have really opened Franklin's eyes up to what worked under Moorhead was having a head coach of the offense. And he then had... 
a head coach of the offense who had been with him forever, who was running Joe Moorhead's offense, and then a guy who was the head coach of the offense but wasn't really running an offense that James Franklin liked. And I think that he now has that sort of dude again. And unless they just butt heads and do not get along, I think Mike Yurisich has a nice little window here. And, you know, I don't think he's going to retire as Penn State's offensive coordinator or anything like that. But I do think a good spell, three, four, five years, then he can kind of reassess where he is in his career. It does seem like it makes sense. Uh, and then the second question from Sylvester. This one I find very interesting, and it goes back to a guy I just mentioned. Given what we saw from Sean Clifford in 2020, did we judge Ricky Ronnie too quickly? Should we be giving more credit to K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth for what they brought to the offense? Were the bad walls in offensive production at times last year, or at times that year, Michigan, Purdue, Michigan State, for example, a product of bad QB play, or instead of bad offensive coordinator play calling? Uh, and my answer to that is, Matt, please answer this question. Okay, I will break it down into parts. Um, okay, so given what we saw from Clifford in 2020, did we judge Ricky Ronnie too quickly? I would say no. I think he got a lot of flack for no reason. Maybe it was because he's not Joe Moorhead, but I think we all knew what Ricky Ronnie was, and it wouldn't be a podcast if we did mention to go from great to elite. Ricky Ronnie was not the offensive coordinator that Penn State needed to make that move. Uh, so I think he was what we thought he was. So take that for what you will. Uh, should we give more credit to KJ and Pat? Uh, always. KJ is amazing and Pat also rules. So always give them more credit because they are two bona fide studs who are going to be great for Penn State's brand in the NFL. Um, and then were the bad lows in the offensive production uh, a byproduct of the quarterback play or the uh, play calling? I think it's a little bit of both. Like Sean Clifford came in under Moorhead and then Ronnie took over. But Ronnie ran Moorhead's offense. So Clifford had spent three years, his entire college career, in one offense. And all of a sudden, in comes Kirk Shiraka with a very complex offense that he had to teach over Zoom, which is hard. And Clifford really didn't do him any favors the way he played, but I think it's a little bit of both. And I think moving on, it was the best scenario for both parties and I really hope Yersich being there in person is able to make this next transition a lot easier. And I hope Clifford learned a lot of lessons on how to learn an offense better uh, from what he did in, from 2019 to 2020 uh, that he'll carry over then to 20 to 21. What I will say is the difficulty in answering this question is we haven't seen Ricky Ronnie at Old Dominion yet. Um, I think that's kind of the big overarching thing here. We don't know what a Ricky Ronnie program looks like, what kind of offense it runs, like what kind of stuff happens when it is totally Ricky Ronnie and it is not Ricky Ronnie uh, in the post Joe Moorhead era. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. And I, I like, I think that's just a really tough thing to put on anyone, uh, let alone Ricky Ronnie, because let's also face it, the Penn State teams that he was for whom he was the offensive coordinator. It was a team that we all knew was very flawed. We all knew that 2019 team had its flaw. Like it had a lot of talent, but it was a lot of raw talent that needed to be uh, developed. Uh, 
and it just had Trace McSorley to kind of stem that tide to make the make that team a little bit more or, or the 2018 team rather uh we knew it had talent, but it had Trace McSorley, and Trace McSorley kind of elevated a timetable that was a little bit ahead of where what was probably fair. And I think we saw that in how that team played. We saw uh, in that game against Ohio State, Trace had a fantastic game. They just didn't have enough collectively to get over the finish line. That Michigan State game, Trace had an okay game. Not even an okay game. He didn't have a particularly great game by his standards. They didn't have enough to get over the finish line. They just couldn't beat a Michigan State team, uh, you know, that I think was probably in their heads a little bit. Then they go to Ann Arbor, and by that point, everything had just fallen apart. Like, I'm looking at Trace's passing totals after Ohio State, 192 against Michigan State, 220 against Indiana, 167 against Iowa, 83 against Michigan, 160 against Wisconsin, 183 against Rutgers, 230 against Maryland, 246 against Kentucky. It is not like that offense was... Gangbusters, it was an offense that wasn't perfect, and it had the most decorated quarterback in the school's history, but it also had a bunch of reasons to not think that offense is going to be particularly good. You move to 2019, a lot of those guys had taken steps forward, but it had that new quarterback in there learning that offense for the first time, and we saw the highs that were really, really good, but we also saw the lows that were not so particularly good. So when it comes to Ricky Ronnie, um, I think that a lot of the judging him was based on the fact that Penn State has really high standards and Penn State was unable to achieve them. And someone has to be the scapegoat. And I think he was the scapegoat, but we won't know for sure what the scapegoat was or who needed to correctly be the scapegoat until we fully until we see Ricky Ronnie's football team. I certainly think he wasn't Joe Moorhead. I think he kind of lacked that finesse as a play caller that made Moorhead that has made Moorhead one of the best offensive coordinators in football, but neither here nor there. And then of course, when it comes to giving guys like KJ Hamler and Pat Frymuth credit, they're day two NFL draft picks. I think we like, you don't have a lot of guys like that in on one football team, unless you're in Ohio state or in Alabama, of course they deserve more credit. Like, when it comes to the bad walls last year, what was that uh, last year, uh, two years ago? What were what was the reason for those? It, it might just be that they had bad day, bad games on those days. Like it might have just been, you know, during the twenty twenty season that their walls against Nebraska were chalked up to bad games. It might have been because of the circumstances this that the season happened. It might be that Sean Clifford just isn't that good. We don't know. I think we're going. I think if there's one thing that we're going to learn from the 2021 season and then the 2022 season, what in you know whatever form or fashion that takes, and we start getting more information about Penn State football post Ricky Ronnie, I think post Ricky Ronnie, post Sean Clifford, it's going to be really instructive as to what their tenures were like because I think so often we look at things um, without the necessary time away from them to be able to speak as eloquently as we can. But having said all of that, I think there are reasons for optimism with this offense. And I think it's very possible that by the time we get to the end of this season, by the time we get to, uh, you know, 2021, 2022, 2023, and we have, um, a Penn State football team that has 
that elite offensive coordinator in Mike Yurcich, potentially that elite quarterback and a guy like Drew Aller or Christian Bayou will be ans- able to answer a few more questions. Uh, did everything make sense because there, Matt? Because I do think I turned into a bit of a rambly mess. No, yeah, I get what you mean. I, I, I took this question as the jury is, is closed on Ricky Ronnie's Penn State chapter, but as a football coach broader, I think it is still open. Um, but I think overall, as an offensive coordinator, he was he was fine, but I agree. As an overall football coach, it, it's to be determined. Yeah, let's uh, let, let, let's wrap it up there. I, I mean, it, it, there's only so much that we I think we can say about Ricky Ronnie, because it's the same point, like... It's not like those offenses were totally hapless. They had their ups and downs, and I, I just wonder if that inconsistency speaks more to him, if that inconsistency speaks more to the players, if that inconsistency speaks more to circumstance, to any of these various things, because the highs were very high and the lows were very, very low. And to what do we attribute that? Hell if I know. Like, it's... Uh, it's something that I again I think will be a lot easier to judge as time uh, goes on, but you know we just don't have enough time to completely say what we have to say. Um, Matt, are there any final things uh, that you would like to say in a a second or third language you speak? Uh, because uh, apparently you are, are are just this wealth of uh, oratorial knowledge. Uh, I don't speak any more languages. But I am, uh, I do have a 505 day uh, Spanish streak on Duolingo. Uh, so please keep that in mind when you speak to me. How's, uh, how, how is that? I've been uh, interested in starting up Duolingo to brush up on my Italian so I could fully live the brand. Uh, well, if Duolingo sponsors this lovely podcast, then I will say nice things about them. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if any of you know anyone but who yes, wants to. But yes, but yes, but yes, I like it. If, if any of you know anyone who wants to sponsor this podcast, like, man, come on, just. Get you know, get get a uh, get, get in touch. Uh, but yeah, uh, on the whole, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing to our podcast on all of our ver- all the various podcasting platforms. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go over there and give us a five star review. Uh, make sure you're reading and supporting the site, following us on all of our social media channels, and buy some shirts. Other Matt has a lot of shirts left in his basement, and he would love to sell one to you. Uh, one last time. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Give us the Marlins home run sculpture. <laughs>